This week on the Sportplex. This week we chat with the Goatmentator, Bo Estes, <laughs> about being the voice of the NBA and NBL, his amazing career so far, Brady Manic, the sports business classroom, and even the Soccer World Cup comes up, Stewie. Great chat. Let's go. It's 5.52am in Perth on Saturday, the 19th of November. AM? Yes, Stewie. Yes, it is. Yes, we've just come off recording. Well, my goodness. What an amazing interview. And you'll hear it in a sec with Bo Estes. Just a, a just an absolute legend, but an even nicer guy, wasn't he? Like let's, just, let's call it what it is. He's the goat mentator. He really is the goat mentator. But he's a goat personator as well, I guess, in terms of like he's a... Like but he's just so down to earth yeah, and just such a lovely guy. guy. But how'd you go with the uh, early starts, Stewie? So you got here at 3.30 a.m. Yeah, so my alarm went off at 2.45 and I think I saw every hour of the clock from about <laughs> 9 o'clock. But you know what? The feeling, anticipation. Feeling good, man. The Powerade and the Skittles are, oh, yes. you know, coursing through the veins right now. And I believe you had Guns N' Roses last night. I did, yeah. I took the other option, so I haven't been to bed uh, yet. I uh, pulled an all-nighter. I went to Guns N' Roses. Funnily enough, November Rain, the song and the meteorological... uh... Rain's during November. No, not during. They weren't simultaneously, but I did get November Rain twice in two different ways. Yeah, Yeah. nice. How long did it go for? Because I know, obviously... Three hours. No, no, I mean November Rain. Oh, no, the the concert. It was really long. (laughs) November Rain's long enough. Yeah, it is. Nine minutes. They played a lot of their long songs yeah, yeah that's awesome anyway let's stop talking box let's get straight stuck into it hey sounds good here we go Bo Estes well we're absolutely delighted to have our next guest on aren't we Stewie he's the man with the golden tonsils who commentates the matter skills broadcaster teacher author and more his guaranteed plays are no bore talking on dunks and dimes he's whipping up rhymes in next to no time became a cult-like figure and yet his head ain't any bigger NBA, PGA, Olympics, he's done it all. When he does top 10 plays, we have a ball. Who incidentally played here in a Landale down under. I'm sure Bo was as giddy as us when he joined the OKC Thunder. He's a great Twitter follow. Find him at NBA Bo. A very sport bloke. Welcome to Bo Estes. That was good. Man, I do feel welcome. You you roll out the welcome, Matt, with an open like that. I like that a lot. I, I was almost <laughs> felt blasphemous, but uh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I can't that was nice. That was really nice. <laughs> I may steal some of that. <laughs> now, we thought we'd just kick off with the very start of your career. I was interested in sports journalism from a very young age myself, but you absolutely take the cake. My understanding is that you told your parents you wanted to be a commentator at age five or six. Is that right? And then it seems that you really went down the right path because you were the sports editor at your high school paper and then you interned at Turner while you're a university student at the 96 Atlanta Olympics. Is that correct? Yeah, it's really funny because I I I've thought about it and I used to think, wow, this is this is amazing because I focused on a goal when I was really young. And then the older I get, the more I think I'm doing what a five year old wanted to do. So there, there's two ways of looking at it. I don't I don't know what's better, but yeah, when I was uh, about five years old, we were living. Uh, I live in Los Angeles now, but we were living uh, in Mission Viejo, California, which is about an hour south of here. And I told my parents. Very specifically, I want to be a sportscaster. Uh, I remember it. They remember it. And I just, I never, ever, ever diverted. I didn't have a use for a guidance counselor in high school. I didn't need any career guidance in college. I did exactly what I wanted to do. Now, here's the thing. I was I was a good student in the things that would, you know, help me reach this goal. The other stuff, I just blew. I was just like, nope, nope, nope. And I that's a very risky strategy 
it paid off for me, but I, I wouldn't advise that for everybody else. <laughs> but I, I feel I feel incredibly lucky, guys. I feel incredibly lucky to have so specifically achieved my goal because, you know, like when I was in Southern California, uh, and this is going to date me a little bit, my first NBA memory is when the Lakers won the championship and Magic Johnson was a rookie. And I remember that feeling and I remember just thinking, this is so amazing. So I always loved the NBA above everything else. Uh, so to want to be a sportscaster and to want to be an NBA broadcaster and to now sort of be the guy who does this for the NBA is is sort of a lottery dream. It really is. It's so, so lucky. So I, I, I realize that every single day. And you obviously would have had a, a very a great inspiration, I guess, if you are watching the Lakers a lot. Chick Hearn, obviously one of the greatest commentators of all time. So did you did you draw a little bit of inspiration from listening to him as a kid? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, this is a guy, you know, Chick Hearn, that it was blew up beyond um, just, you know, game broadcast. He was, you know, featured in in movies like Fletch and stuff like this. So I just realized that the, the impact that those people could have. And I really, it's, it's almost like I recognized a scam at a young age. I was like, wait, those guys get to go to the games, get to talk about the games, get to say what they want. That's perfect. They get paid to do that. Yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to do. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, a guy like Chick Hearn, it was weird. Cause like a guy like Brent Musburger, when I was a kid was very inspirational. These are, you know, these are guys from that era that were, amazing and you know the world of broadcasting has changed a lot since obviously there was no uh digital voice of the nba back then now that's pretty much me uh so i think you know i i think there's more opportunities now but i think that you always look to those sort of figures that were um really important in your youth and remember what they did you know my closest inspiration probably the closest thing I have to a mentor is probably Ernie Johnson. Uh, but all those people from my childhood were really important. And here's one, I guess, a bit from left field. Some of our younger listeners might not know that Pat Riley started in the broadcast booth. How is he as a broadcaster? Um, I think, you know, he's a better coach. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but like here's the thing this job takes time to develop and he moved out of it pretty quickly right so uh he he went into coaching and he was very good at coaching and he's great in management too so um i will tell you that i i gosh it takes so much time to become good at this job uh the people that are great at a young age amaze me because it certainly took me time. It, it you know, when I I remember very specifically my first time going on the air and what my priorities were that time versus what they are now, and how that's changed, and how my better priorities now make me a better broadcaster. So I'm uh, I I can't imagine a guy like Pat Riley who goes out and tries to tries to make something happen. You know, his first broadcast couldn't have been as good as if he had stuck with it for 30 years and is still doing it now. Absolutely. Yeah, that's very well put. Now, I just want to, I guess, touch on, you mentioned obviously Magic Johnson and his his rookie season. And the understanding is that you fell in love with the game of basketball because of him. But it was big game James Worthy who became your favorite player and the, the guy that you sort of, you know, really sort of fell in love with. 
Was there a particular moment or game that kind of led to that? Or is is it just as simple as the fact that he's a Tar Heel? No, I, I can explain it to you. So we moved from Southern California to North Carolina uh, as I'm getting into basketball. And so if you go to North Carolina, the North Carolina Tar Heels, particularly at that time, were everything. Um, absolutely everything. And so uh, the first time I remember UNC uh, and really becoming invested emotionally in them, they lost to Indiana, Isaiah Thomas, uh, and the the Hoosiers defeated uh, North Carolina. The next year, James Worthy was the star of that team. And James Worthy led us, the North Carolina Tar Heels, to a national championship that year. That was really overwhelming commitment and investment. Probably the first time I felt that because for me, Magic Johnson was like, oh, the finals are on. You know, we watch the finals. We we see what happened. Uh, and that's great. But North Carolina was something that you watched all the time. And look, uh, I had a chance to work with James Worthy. So I got, you know, you got to meet your hero, which was really cool. But he's the last guy that was ever legitimately and surely better than Michael Jordan while on the same team as Michael Jordan. James Worthy was the best player on that team, no question about it. Uh, so I've always wondered what their relationship is like because Michael Jordan never was on a team where he was better than James Worthy. So I've always wondered that. But yeah, he, people see me on Twitter talking about Michael Jordan quite a bit, obviously. But without a doubt, James Worthy is my favorite player. Michael Jordan is not my favorite player. It's 100% James Worthy. It's funny you say that because I saw an article refer to you as the LeBron James of this, you know, of, of sports broadcasting. And as a Jordan fan, <laughs> that might be considered this. I guess I'm the second best, right? <laughs> and somebody's better than me. That's still bloody good. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, if I'm the LeBron James, I will take that all day long. That's funny that I, I've never seen that article. Um, but you know what's you know what's weird about all that stuff? Uh, you know, there's a there's a fascination with the goat debate and everything like that. I, as you guys mentioned in the open, I'm an instructor at Sports Business Classroom. Uh, so predominantly our media students are younger and trying to break into the business. And I remember like I asked them a question this summer and I get it if you're younger. I really do. But I asked, do you, in very specifically worded, do people your age resent Michael Jordan? Because he sits out there, you know, I, I had heroes when I was a kid. Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Michael Jordan surely became one. But Michael Jordan sits out there as this unattainable goal. Unattainable. Nobody can reach him. Nothing can match him. So you have all these heroes in your generation, and there's nothing they can do. They can't catch this guy. I've told people, I, you know, I understand if you resent that. I really do. Like, if, if your guy can't be the best, how must that make you feel? Uh, the other side of this is, if I'm 25 and LeBron's the best player I've ever seen, he's the best player ever. I understand if people just say that. I, I get it. Uh, that makes sense to me because people are passionate about sports. So I get it. And if somebody says, look, if somebody says I'm the two-way player for the San Antonio Spurs of broadcasting, I'll take it. That means I'm in the league. So I'll take it. <laughs> I'm a Spurs fan. So, oh, there was that uh, Jeremy Sohan dunk today. It was magnificent, wasn't it? Hey? Ooh, that <laughs> I think about... I posted yeah, something about Timofey Mozgov. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's one of the loudest moments. Uh, before we started working remotely, I used to work, obviously, in the NBA studios and everything like that. But I would go into a voiceover booth that basically, I'm sure you guys know, it's just like a vertical coffin. You go into like a tight space, you stand up and you talk about the games. 
but it's really soundproof. I mean, really soundproof. And only two times in my entire career down there did I ever hear outside noise. And that Blake Griffin dunk over Moskov was one of them. It was incredible. What was the other one out of interest? Yeah. Uh, Clay Thompson's 37-point performance. Oh, yeah, yeah, very nice. 37 points in a quarter. And, you know, like I I saw Steph do something like 30 points and a half the other day, and I was like, that's amazing. And then I thought about it for a second, and it's like, the 37-point quarter almost doesn't seem real. Like, how does that even happen? Uh, What is that? That's a 148-point pace or something. It's incredible. I will say this. When you're in a voiceover booth, and you hear screams from the outside, first of all, it has to be incredibly loud. And second of all, if you're doing like a, you know, a February Cavs Wizards highlight and you're hearing screams from outside, you're like, what in the world is going on out there? You almost want to stop down and go check out the action. But it signifies something insane has happened. It really does. And you know what? We could do an entire episode just on those unobtainable records. The Clay Thompson one is something that I don't see anyone yeah. ever breaking. The fact that he finished the entire quarter perfect from the field, the types of shots that he was taking. Yeah, that's I, I can certainly understand why someone would be uh, would be screaming for that one. And yeah. Mozgov dunk is next level. And you were talking about LeBron again as well. So most of our listeners will know you from NBA.com and the, the daily top 10s. How nuts is NBA.com going to go when he passes Kareem's 38,387 points? I hope really nuts. I do. (laughs) I hope really nuts. Uh, One of the things that I think we do a good job of is recognizing the moment, planning for the moment, especially something like this that you can plan for uh, and celebrating that moment properly. I remember there was the night that Kobe was going to pass Michael Jordan in career points. There was a lot of people saying, obviously, Kobe's not as good as Michael Jordan, blah, blah, blah. And we had uh, one of our management leaders say, Look, guys, tonight is about Kobe Bryant. Tonight is let's celebrate Kobe Bryant. Let's celebrate him properly. There's no need to run him or anybody else through the ringer of not being as good as Michael Jordan. That's just, it's an unattainable crucible. Don't go there. So I think that we recognize those moments and there's not going to be a much bigger moment than LeBron passing Kareem for all-time scoring. What an amazing accomplishment for a long, productive, healthy excellent career you know i think we'll be ready for it and i what you said you're the question you just asked me now i hadn't even thought of it until this moment but i'm sure that will be the number one play on the top 10 and even <laughs> if it's a free throw it'll be number one i really i really <laughs> it might be your I, I, eh? honest to god it may be because it's such an incredible accomplishment there's a assistant coach with the denver nuggets named john beckett uh, John used to work with us in, in television, and then he started training people individually, and then he got a job in the video room with the Atlanta Hawks and sort of moved up. John and I are friends, and I, I remember telling John after LeBron's sophomore year in high school, there's this guy you've got to see named LeBron James. Uh, and so I feel like I've been following this story since he was a kid, uh, and to see him have this, I mean, incredible incredible career just he absolutely lived up to all the hype and i don't know that anybody's ever been as hyped as him the only other one is kareem so uh i just think that he's met and exceeded every possible level he could ever hope to meet and exceed so it deserves all of our effort all of our creativity and all of our time to congratulate him for that 
And it's so funny that you mentioned the free throw because that was, funnily enough, one of the things I was going to say is we probably all remember Kareem breaking Wilt Chamberlain's scoring record with, a, a obviously, a skyhook, a signature move in that game against yep. Utah. All we can pray is, because obviously LeBron's last couple of passes have been pretty disappointing. They've been either in blowout losses or free throws. So you do, you just kind of hope it's something a little bit more exciting, even if it's a pull-up jump shot. You just don't want it to be a layup or a free throw. You want it to be something a, a bit more exciting. What's interesting to me about that is LeBron seems to have a memory that allows him to track stuff during a game, after a game. So if he comes into a game knowing he needs 13 points, my hunch is that he'll be aware of that number. Uh, so when he gets to 11, I'm 100% positive LeBron's going to know next bucket is the record. Uh, I don't know that that impacts what he does, how he does it. What's what's frankly, it's honestly a little disappointing. The Lakers are awful. The Lakers are just awful right yeah, now. And are. so it just seems like a, it, it seems a little unfortunate because they, they don't seem competitive right now. Hopefully, you know, it's, it's really early in the season. Hopefully they can turn it around for his sake. Uh, but it's not going to be in a situation where, you know, he's in a meaningful game is as it stands right now. Uh, I hope that changes because, you know, it was, you remember last year when he was sort of chasing the scoring title and he was staying in games way past when he needed to be in games, uh, trying to put up numbers, and it felt a little uncomfortable. I don't think this is that same feeling, but I just I just wish it was in a, a you know in a competitive race as he's chasing a playoff spot. Now we know that your career kind of is much bigger than this. You do so many different things. You wear so many different hats. But most of our listeners will know you from the top ten videos so we're wondering both at the nba and nbl level so we'd love to know how you got into both of those uh different roles um so the nba was really early on um i'm a product of you know obviously we talked about like goals and setting those goals and everything and that's great but i'm also i, I can't lie to you guys i'm incredibly lucky i was growing up in atlanta i was going to school in atlanta as the olympics were coming to atlanta so the world of, you know, broadcasting, sports broadcasting is coming to the city that I'm getting ready to graduate from college. And so I was in the Olympic broadcasting program and working at Turner Sports before I had graduated from college. And I'm making money as a um, what happened is I was in college and we toured uh, a Georgia public broadcasting set. And we got to go in as they were taping a show. And I don't know how familiar your listeners will be with public broadcasting, but here in America, that's pretty low budget. They do really good stuff, but it's pretty low budget. So we had access and they're wanting to help students out. And so we we got to go in and watch. And I'm just talking about North Carolina basketball in there like an idiot as they're recording. But it just so happens that the producer was a huge North Carolina basketball fan. He hears me talking and invites me to intern at CNN Sports. It's so lucky. I can't, as I retell it, I can't believe how lucky I am. So I start working at CNN Sports in college as an intern. I'm there for like two days. And the guy sitting next to me, we're logging games. I don't know how many people are familiar with that, but basically you're just recording every single play, what happens so that an editor can quickly track that and put together a highlight. The guy sitting next to me says they're paying folks at Turner Sports to do this. And we can go over and make a couple hundred bucks a night doing it. And I was like, that sounds great. And he gave me a number. 
That guy that told me that is named Jeremy Levin, now the producer of Inside the NBA. Hmm. Uh, we have been friends forever. We are tight to this day, really tight. I recently went home. We went out to dinner with his family and everything like that. So, you know, it was weird because just two kids in college sitting here chatting and all of a sudden I get over to Turner and I'm making money in college to uh, do this gig to work for uh, NBA on TNT. So I got in that way. I was, I you know, I went over, I got the gig at Turner and I worked my butt off and I was just a simple logger and then an editor, but everybody knew I wanted to be on camera and I worked it from there. So, you know, my career goes twists and turns and eventually I get this job to do these NBA highlights and I hosted for uh, NBA TV for quite a long time, uh, all the way up until the pandemic. And so I think that was my NBA pursuit. And then I guess people tend to know these top tens. They went viral and they became really popular. And the folks down at the NBL got in touch with me and said, would you be interested in doing our top tens? And I was incredibly flattered uh, and just loved the idea of it. I I didn't, frankly, I knew what the NBL was, but I didn't know what the league was all about. And I didn't understand all the passion that the fans have, all the rivalries and stuff like that. But I loved the idea, so I jumped on it immediately. Uh, and it's it's been funny to learn about the NBL and the NBL's culture and the NBL's rivalries in particular. If I if I, you know, early on I started liking player A, well, the fans that are rival on rival teams of player A would just send me, he's terrible, he's crap, he's this, <laughs> that, the other. And I was like, man, holy cow, this is intense. So uh I quickly learned what the NBL was all about from the fans on Twitter. And I think that was a great experience. I mean, it was a it was a learning lesson, but it showed me how into the league uh, Australian and, and fans in New Zealand are. I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about the NBL, uh, I guess, in a few minutes. But just I, I want to know a little bit more about your process. And look, one of the things that I learned just from following you on Twitter all, all of what maybe eight hours ago was that you don't have any sort of say in the selection of the plays. But I kind of wanted to know, I guess, obviously you don't have a heap of time to turn these things around, Like, how stressful is the process for you and how is it different, I guess, doing the NBA and the NBL ones? Okay. So yeah, I don't really have a say, uh, like you said, in, in the selection or the ordering of the plays. People get mad at me and why didn't you put this? And I don't have anything to do with that. I suppose if I really wanted to, because I've you know been around for so long, I could call and say, this one goes at number two. This one goes at number four. This one, I, I would never do that. Let the producers do the producer's job. I'll do the announcer's job. So yeah, just to clear that up, I have nothing to do with the selection and ordering of the plays, but the, the you know, the pressure, here's the goal with the NBA side. I will get the plays after all the games are over. And we want to turn that around quickly. We want to get it out to the world as quickly as possible. So I get them. I look at them really quickly. I look at the plays. I just sort of watch the two-minute highlight through one time as I'm looking at the players, and then I just I call it. I just call whatever I feel, whatever I feel good about, and I just say whatever I say. The NBL is a different process and arguably a better process. Um, I get uh, the plays from uh, the producers, and I have time. I have a, a while to look it over and to think about each play and to think about what I want to say on each play. 
And so on an NBA top 10, it's a two and a half minute clip. I record it all the way through in one take, just one pass. Whatever I say is whatever I say. It goes out. The NBL top 10s, I record play number 10, play number nine, play number eight, so that that it's easier for them to edit. It's just, this is all just production process, uh, but it... um, I have more time to really think through the NBL stuff, certainly, than I do the NBA stuff. And I guess a a couple of quick follow-ups on that. Do you have any favorite players in terms of, obviously, everyone that has listened to you for a number of years will know that you've got certain players that rhyme really well or certain players (laughs) that maybe have attributes that you can kind of play off. Are there any guys in particular that you get really, really excited about? Uh, In the NBA or the NBL or both? Or both, yeah. Yeah, in the NBA right now, I absolutely love Jalen Green. I absolutely love the guy. Um, I saw I, I do some play by play in the summer for like uh, AAU and stuff like that, and I saw him play when he was a sophomore in high school. And I remember a guy walking up to me that I really respect and saying, "That's the next Kobe Bryant," and I was like, "Wow!" So I've kept my eye on him, and you know, obviously, the next Kobe Bryant is hugely aspirational, but he's averaging twenty one points a game, and he's twenty years old. Um, then, uh, John Morant is massive for us right now. John Morant is an incredible highlight machine. So he makes my life very easy. Uh, in the NBL. Yeah. There's, there's also, uh, tons of players I love and have loved, uh, through the years. Chris Golding is a guy that I immediately started thinking, he, why is this guy not in the NBA? I, I remember like in my first year, I I uh, I sent a note to like one of the heads of the NBL, like, why is Chris Golding not in the NBA? And they gave me like a long explanation uh, of what's going on. And then I started it, you know, I go to summer league every year and I started cornering GMs. Like, what are you doing? How are you <laughs> missing this guy? Like, And finally there was like, honestly, there was like a, a late night session in Las Vegas with a couple of executives. I'm like, how have you guys screwed this up? And I have like, after a few years of be railing these guys, you know, they were sort of like, yeah, we may have missed that one though. We may have missed that one. We will admit to you that we may have missed that one. And I guess he falls into that blind spot of like, you scout a guy internationally till they're like 26 or 27. And if they make a market improvement since 27 to 30, we just don't really track it. Uh, as much. That's sort of a blind spot. So I I always like Chris Golding. I like God, Bryce Cotton's incredible. It's, uh, so, so, small it's, in it's so funny you say that. Yeah, literally what Stewie just said. So we were at the game last night and I think on at least three occasions we turned to each other and said, we are so spoiled to be able to watch this guy all the time. Oh my gosh. He's, he's you know, I that's another guy that I'm like, he walks into the NBA averaging 12, 15 points a game if he wants it. And I know people have told me that he's a defensive liability in the NBA. Fine, whatever. But if you need a scorer and you need a scorer in bursts, that's a guy that can get it done. My gosh, Bryce Cotton is incredible. And like over and over incredible, like constantly incredible. So I absolutely love uh, Bryce Cotton. Obviously I'm partial Brady Manick because he's a North Carolina guy. Uh, I am happy and probably more relieved that he started turning it up because it was not looking good there in the early going And for shooters. It's all about those shots falling. And I, I saw Brady Manick at North Carolina. I knew he could make those shots and he just had like three or four or five bad games. But as Perth fans told me in the NBL, 
you got to hit the ground running. There's not time to wait for a guy to get a shot straight. Uh, I'm glad they waited as long as he did because one of the things, and you know, this is my analysis from half a world away. To me, it was pretty clear watching Bryce Cotton that it must have been exhausting carrying that team in the early going in scoring because, like, he's just having to do everything all game long, constantly, constantly. If nobody helps him out in scoring, it's just not going to work. So to get another guy who can score 15 points uh, a game, something like that, uh, is a huge help in my mind for Perth. We'll come back to Perth in a sec, but speaking of favorites, another one that kind of comes to mind for me, and, and Chris Golding as well, I can't understand why Xavier Cooks hasn't had a tap on the shoulder yet. We've also got a mailbag question here from Woody V in Sydney. I don't know who that could be. <laughs> Shout out to the throwback hoop guys. But uh, I'll paraphrase what he said because some of it we've already covered and some of it we'll cover as well. But he asked, how do you watch the games from the US and do you have favorite teams as well as players or are you not allowed to do that? What's great in the US that doesn't work for you guys, and I try to spread the word, I literally send uh, links out on Twitter, is the games are streamed live on YouTube outside of the NBL market. So I watch the games here live and, you know, as much as I can, look, the hours are nuts. One of the things that works in the NBL's favor as far as me watching it is typically I come off an NBA shift and the NBL games are getting ready to start. So when you finish work at night, you're not just like, I'm going to go to bed right now. You're sort of wired. after. If, if you listen to me do a top 10, I sound like a lunatic. So I'm not going to bed <laughs> right after that. So I, I, I go downstairs and I turn on the TV and there's an NBL game. So I'm watching the NBL game and I'm sharing it with folks here in the United States. And I can tell you, there are people in the United States that enjoy watching these games. And so hopefully people get to watch along. As far as teams go, I don't have an allegiance team-wise. You know, like I don't care emotionally who wins the game, but I really like teams the way they play. Uh, last year, obviously, Sydney was incredible. And it's interesting watching them defend their title with, you know, somewhat different personnel. Uh, that's a task and that's not an easy task. So I enjoy watching them. I've enjoyed watching Melbourne for years. Um, another story I enjoyed it, uh, last year was Tasmania. Uh, what an incredible story to bounce into this league and really uh, push folks from the jump. So that was incredible for me. As far as Xavier Cooks goes, I think I tweeted out earlier this year that I, I think he's an NBA player. I think he deserves an NBA look. I sort of feel that way about Keanu Pender. Uh, he's a he's a, a bit of a different fit to me, but he has some things that I could I could see working on an NBA team. So I think that Xavier could make it. I I, I think he probably will. Um, I I would love to see him get stronger. Uh, because when I sit up, you know, I've been lucky enough to sit front row at several NBA games. The one thing you see is the incredible strength and the incredible physicality of these guys. I mean, I think uh, watching Jacques Landell go from San Antonio to Phoenix and watching his progression, I think he had an adjustment period for that, for the speed of the game, the strength of the game and everything like that. But I, I think that Xavier would just need that grace, need that time to adjust, sort of like Manic did going from, uh, North Carolina basketball to the NBL level. You're jumping up quite a bit going to the NBL from college basketball here in America. And once you get it, once it clicks, you're good. Uh, and I, 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 I think Xavier could make it for sure. 
So I guess obviously for us as massive NBL fans, we've been life life is obviously living in Perth. We obviously wanted to thank you for doing that because it's so great seeing the NBL being plugged on the other side of the world. And absolutely, yeah. it, it can't grow as a product without people like yourself doing that. So obviously, it is greatly appreciated from our side. And I saw you post the link after the Isaac Humphreys um, news as well, which was really fantastic. So it's it's great that people are watching, and it's great that they're interested too. No, it's it's meaningful to me too. I I I think that. Um... I, I I feel more familiar and I feel more a part of the league now than I ever have. Every year you feel a little closer to the story and closer to the people and closer to what's going on down there. Obviously, I'd love to get down to Australia at some point if I could. It's a long trip uh, and our seasons overlap, but I'd love to do it. But seeing the stories, seeing the teams over the years, seeing how that evolves and how I understand the league has been it's been a really fun process. It really has. And obviously regarding the Isaac Humphrey story, I'm just happy for the guy, man. I just, I'm just happy, happy, happy that he seems happy. I was actually thinking about it last night. What a relief he must be feeling right now. He must just be a happy guy. And what more could you ask for somebody than to be happy and enjoying their life and to pursue their profession in a way just like that with the support of his team and an organization like uh, Melbourne United. So obviously we're here in Perth, which is a long, long, long way away from Los Angeles. And one of the things before we start talking about Brady Manic, I did just want to quickly ask you a question because we were talking off air about this and uh, your your first understanding, I guess, of Perth as a location. Yeah. So um, a million years ago when my hair was not gray, uh, I uh, was just coming into the business working at Turner Sports. And one of the properties that we had was the Goodwill Games, which was Ted Turner's sort of uh homage to the olympics and so our company owned and put on this international games that was very much almost exactly like the olympics and it happened on off years so we were all assigned uh those of us that were on the uh, goodwill games and olympic staff were assigned to go out and put together uh research handbooks for um different events so i had beach volleyball and i traveled to toronto for a beach volleyball tournament and interviewed all the other athletes that would be in the uh, Goodwill Games. And actually, you have to write this handbook, which is like 80 pages of information that every broadcaster, everyone would need to know. Well, uh, a couple of good friends of mine went down to Perth uh, for an event down there, and they spent a while down in Perth. Uh, but I remember coming back and in preparation for the Goodwill Games, reading their uh, handbook. And it's always stuck with me, but they describe Perth as, quote, the Western outpost of Australia. And that's <laughs> never left me. So honestly, when I joined the NBL, I knew what Perth was, at least in my mind. I knew what it was, where it was on the map and sort of what it meant uh, in the overall scheme of things in Australia. It's sort of wild to me because I guess I've taken more of an interest in Australia, obviously, since uh, joining up with the NBL. So I've seen some documentaries, I've read some books, and it seems like, and you guys are going to correct me, obviously, but it seems like it's a big city uh, off almost on its own on the other side of the country. Uh, so you, you would almost like imagine Los Angeles and then a lot of space and then maybe Chicago and uh, New York and Atlanta and stuff like that. But, you know, every time Perth flies or has to play a game, they have to fly across the country and it's a long haul and everything like that. That's at least the way I envision it in my mind. That's incredibly accurate, actually. Yeah, I mean, a little bit less of a population <laughs> than LA. It's about 2 million here, I think. But um, yeah, it's very one of the okay, most isolated yeah. 
one of the most isolated uh, cities, capital cities, a state capital that is, uh, on the planet. Um, I've, I've seen some like documentaries on Australia, and it, it seems like there's just this wonderful jewel, and there's some there's some. This is I'm going to really embarrass myself, but it seems like is there a town called Darwin that's sort of there is. north, yep. but sort of north and central maybe, but a little that's west. Right, yeah. Is that right yeah. or wrong? Yeah, okay. no, it's pretty central. Yeah, it, it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got the yeah, okay. territory right up the top, and that's where Darwin is, which is, I guess, the closest point, or one of the closest points to Asia, I guess, for us. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I have a very, you know, basic understanding, and hopefully, I don't embarrass myself too much. But that's that's about what I understand of uh, the situation with Perth. I, I, I just seems like an incredibly cool place to be. Uh, I don't know what it, how that manifests itself in daily life. You know, you're really isolated. But it seems like it would be a really cool spot to live and grow up and uh, experience things. It's a bit of a Goldilocks zone for me. I think it's not too big. It's not too small. And the weather is magnificent most of the time. So. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's like LA. Like that's LA. a lot like LA. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, they've even shot movies in the hills here to kind of replicate the LA hills, which is. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the Goodwill Games. Did you ever. I, I want to say. Was it in the mid nineties? Were they in Brisbane? I want to say, or is my memory just? I think they were. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think you're right. I, the, so that's so. I did the nineteen ninety eight Goodwill Games, which were in New York, right. but I think the Brisbane Games were just before us. Right. Um, right. But yeah, so you know, it was a great. I wish everything comes down to money in in broadcasting, right? And so that thing didn't make a ton of money, but I'd be curious to know how it would do today. Um, because live television has live sports has so much more value in the American marketplace now because everybody is their own programmer. You watch stuff on Netflix when you want to, how you want to, uh, you watch stuff on any of these apps, whenever you want to, you don't have to adhere to a programmer schedule. So it makes it harder for them to, uh, advertise to you. Live sports is different. You want to see that live. You'll go where they're broadcast. So if you had this platform sort of like an Olympics, where you could get a lot of eyes on it, you'd have to market it well. There'd have to be storylines and stuff like that. But it might be successful. The cost of putting on a games is incredible, though, because mm. uh, we had, you know, I remember we had uh, venues all across the city of New York. That's not cheap, I'm sure. Oh, I can only imagine. And then obviously for yourself, yeah, you've already mentioned the Atlanta games, I mean, the Los Angeles games in, what, 84. So there's there's been a few of those, yep. those mega events happening in America. So look, hopefully the big mega events can start working in some of these less developed nations. We've seen issues with Brazil. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot going on with Qatar at the moment. I've seen you tweeting about the World Cup too. <laughs> oh my God, what it'll a be disaster. A, it'll be a disaster. There's, yeah, there's no two yeah. ways about it. Like, it's oh, just off the field. I, I mean, mean like, field. so here's the thing. I, I, I think I tweeted out yesterday about uh, I can't believe we're uh, talking about the World Cup, but that's the beauty of a podcast. Um, <laughs> here's what I'll say is that I guarantee you, if we all hung out and went to Qatar and just hung out with the regular people there, I guarantee you they're wonderful. I guarantee it. But the people that are running this thing, it's a disaster. Uh, and, you know, like even down to like this last minute switch for Budweiser, a sponsor like this. I mean, it just couldn't go worse. And yeah. I guess that's sort of what you get if you're FIFA and you get involved in a situation like this and everybody sort of knows that it was a bribery situation and FIFA has sort of confessed to that, but they're like, it's too late now, so we can't switch it. So we got to go forward. And it's sort of the result of what you did. Absolutely. Now, I mean, obviously we could talk about that stuff. Yeah, all day. sorry. <laughs> we'll go back on script. We do want to pivot back to Brady Manic, obviously. Now, as, as you mentioned, sure. 
after a, a bit of a rocky start. He's had a couple of really good games, 11 of 15 from three in the last two games against Adelaide and Southeast Melbourne, which is obviously fantastic for us as Perth fans as well and obviously great for you as a, as a Tar Heel fan. What have you made of the turnaround and, and I guess his season so far? Um, so here's here's what I would say, and I played some basketball, so I, I know a little bit, not nearly as much as them. Once you see, start seeing that ball going in, the confidence comes. And once the confidence comes, you, you start shooting more. And if you keep seeing that positive feedback, look, they, you know, you call it a heat check, you call it getting in the zone, whatever. Um, I don't expect Brady Manic to keep shooting 11 of 15 from three. And if he does, he won't be in Perth long. Somebody else, somebody will offer from a whole lot of money in the NBA. Uh, but I, I don't, you know, that's not realistic. But I think it was realistic to start seeing him go two for five in games uh, and shooting 40% from three and contributing that way. And the one thing I think that folks in Perth are learning that I learned last year watching him in a Tar Heel uniform is this guy's 6'9", and he shoots at a high level outside, and he has a incredibly quick release and he doesn't care if he's guarded all of those are great factors all of those are really meaningful so you know if you just stick a guy on him it doesn't so much matter he can shoot up over the top of most defenders and i give perth's management credit at least uh their idea of how this would work bryce cotton is obviously going to be the fulcrum he's the best player in the league uh, so of course he's going to be the best player on Perth, but he needs an outlet, uh, somebody to take the pressure off him a little bit. And so when he draws all that defense, you know, if you think of him as Steph Curry, he needed a clay Thompson, somebody who could just stand out there and drill shots. And obviously Brady's not as good as clay Thompson, but he has an ability to do that an ability to hit contested three pointers. And the one thing I hope Perth fans are learning is that he can also go down low and get a bucket or two. Uh, and I think it's important that he does that and understands that he can do that because sometimes the shots just won't be falling. And to get that confidence, you have to see the ball go in the basket. So for him to go and work in the post and get uh, a little three-foot turnaround to fall, that I think is a meaningful skill. And also it just changes the shape of Perth's offense a bit and makes them a little bit more difficult to defend. To me, Brady adds a lot to them when he's playing well. And uh, I, I, you know, as a North Carolina fan, I was, like I said earlier, I was worried. But I'm thrilled to see that he's doing well. And I hope that that good play that he's had the last couple of games out buys him some time and gives him some comfort so that he can keep doing this and uh, succeed with him. I'd Look, if you, if you said Bo Brady Manning is going to be in a Perth uniform and doing well for the next five years, I'd be thrilled. I would absolutely love that. Uh, because I think he's a great fit down there. And, you know, I even saw that zoo video they put out. He looked like he's having fun down there. So that's great. I, I, I would love to see him be an important part of that team and to be sort of a face in the community down there that people love. That That's a great story for me. And I think we couldn't agree more. He he was basically a cult figure before he'd even stepped on the court. Obviously, everyone <laughs> saw the big crazy beard and and obviously what he, he'd done in college. He had a, a really, really great NCAA run. I guess the, the one comparison that we've sort of seen over the last few days is the Dirk Nowitzki comparison. He's obviously got yeah. that real quick release, that high release, that real similar sort of mechanics. Have you sort of noticed that as well? You know, I had never thought of that until I saw that posted online. And um, there is some of that. You know, the thing I said is Dirk was 7-1 and, and Brady 6-9. If Brady was 7-1 and able to do this, I you know, Wow. Uh, but he, he does have some of that ability to hit shots. So the other thing that he can do like Dirk is he can dribble in an emergency. He can go down to the post 
and get a bucket as needed. He can work that way. He's a, a you know, Dirk in moments was a, a good passer. I think you saw a really nice assist from Brady the other night. There are things that about his game that is similar. Obviously, Dirk is one of the greatest players ever. So he had some things to, to his game that really separated him, not only from Brady, from just about anybody who ever played the game. But I think if I'm Brady Manic and I see that comment, I wonder if I don't start looking at some of Dirk's tape and saying maybe I add this one-footed fadeaway. Because if you can shoot it and you can shoot it high and you can shoot it guarded, you can get that shot off anytime. So there are things that Brady could certainly learn from Dirk's game and take with him as his career progresses. There's something I noticed, I think it was about a week ago on the Wildcat show, John really said, I get nervous when a guy's work ethic slips. His work ethic never slipped. And apparently, even on off days, he was going into the gym. So doing all the right things. One of the knocks on him over here has been his defense. I noticed they had him showing on the high screens a lot more at that most recent game against Southeast Melbourne. I wonder if that's a strategy if they've decided, okay, he's the big that shows at the top a bit more and then we have someone else protecting the rim. I don't know. Do, do you think that there's been harsh criticism about his defense or do you think it's it's fairly accurate and it is maybe the part of his game that lets him down a little bit? Certainly foot speed is a, you know, a challenge for him, right? Uh, the people can get around him. I saw him uh, isolated on Mitch Creek a couple of times uh, against the Phoenix. And I was like, oh boy, this is not going to go well. Uh, but, you know, like, I think that there are ways to strategize around that. Like you said, having a shot blocker behind him so that if he commits out top, take away the three-point shot and do what I can. But my responsibility isn't the layup at the basket. Somebody else has me covered back there. I think that's an approach that that they can take. Uh, I'd love to see Brady improve that, and I'm sure he would too. And you talk about his work ethic. The one thing I will say, and this is this is just very general to online criticism and not to Perth fans or anybody. I'm lucky enough to talk to people that run NBA teams and and coach NBA teams, and you know I'm not best friends with anybody, but I, I get to talk to them. And the stuff that you don't see that fans don't see. They see the game, the product of that work. The coaches, the management, the staff sees that work behind the scenes. So if you're Perth and you're seeing, man, Brady's not knocking down great shots and he's here all day long practicing and working and we're seeing him getting better, but the fans see a couple of struggling games. First of all, let's not blame the fans. That's all they're seeing and they're invested in the team and they're emotionally invested, but they don't have the full perspective. They don't know everything that's going on, the work that's being put in, the developments that are being made that may not show themselves in those brief flashes on the court. So I just, I, I think that um, Brady deserves a lot of credit for going down there and working himself silly to make himself a part of that team. The other thing I would say is it must be a challenge for a guy that young to go around the world uh, and have that pressure to perform. Brady was not a lottery draft pick, uh, but Brady became a well-known figure on a on maybe the highest profile college basketball team in the world, the North Carolina Tar Heels. I mean, heck, that's where Michael Jordan went. So, you know, he became a well-known figure on this big team. He became a cult figure. And I imagine Perth fans were like, heck, we got the guy that helped North Carolina get the national championship. We're set. And it didn't happen right away. So there's some frustration thinking of it from Brady's perspective, it must have been pressure to come in and perform. So now hopefully he is comfortable at Perth. He knows his role. Uh, you know, apparently there was a team meeting where they figured some stuff out. And the other thing I'll say is it's apparent that they figured things out. Things are working with Perth now. Uh, they got to keep going and they'll, they'll, they're certainly going to stumble. 
there certainly will be some bad games uh, going forward. Nobody plays perfect all the time. Uh, but you're see- if, if I'm a Perth fan, I'm seeing progress. I'm seeing improvement, and I'm seeing a way forward, and I'm seeing hope. I suppose a couple of things that you did mention there that I'll, I will touch on as well. I did notice on Twitter that it looks like some of his family have actually made the trip across now. I think one of them was saying <laughs> yeah. that they were at the arena, which is great. So oh, they, they interviewed his dad on a couple of games, actually. Yeah. 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 So, so having, yeah. I guess having family there probably helps quite a lot. And I'll tell you what, there have been a lot of people that have been stuck on an island with Mitch Creek coming at him, and a lot of people have failed. Oh, he was playing downhill with, with reckless abandon in that fourth quarter last night, wasn't he? he was. Yeah. I mean, Mitch Creek's an NBA player. Right. Like this is a guy that honestly, I think if Mitch Creek really wanted to, he could go sit on the end of the bench in an NBA team right now uh, and and be useful in moments as they rotate the squad and stuff like that. So he's a he to me, Mitch Creek is an NBA level player uh, that is a wing that is athletic. So that's a really tough assignment for just about anybody in the world. Uh, so that it, do, it doesn't so much separate Brady from the crowd that he'd have a tough time guarding Mitch Creek, just like it it doesn't separate, you know, many people from the crowd if you have a tough time guarding Bryce Cotton. Bryce Cotton's really good at basketball. He's tough to guard. He would be tough for NBA players to guard. Absolutely. So I guess from one Wildcat to another, we did want to talk just a little bit, I guess, about Luke Travers. Now, there's been, I don't know, what would you say, stuff in the media Stuff on social media as well, probably a little bit from me as well. But I've sung his praises a lot more than Stewie. Stewie's been a bit more skeptical, and maybe with reason. Maybe with reason. <laughs> so this is all your fault, right, Stuart? <laughs> it is. It is absolutely my fault. But, but he's wonderful. Got drafted by the Cleveland Cavs in the second round last season, which is great. Do you? See- I saw him in Las Vegas. Oh, you did. You did get. To see oh, him. great. So, yeah. what have yeah. you made of his game, and do you think his game translates to the NBA? I do. First of all, just just full stop. I do think he has NBA talent. So what I was seeing with uh, Luke this year um, is some growing pains. Uh, clearly, he's gotten feedback from the Cleveland Cavaliers to address areas of his game that may be deemed a weakness. So it gets a player uncomfortable to try to improve those areas. I mean, obviously, his three-point shot is an area where he is not elite, but he's taking more of those shots and, you know, doesn't have the results all the time because he's not yet an elite three-point shooter. Um, But I think he has a unique athleticism. He has a unique talent to do so many different things on a basketball court. I mean, he's a wonderful defender to begin with. When I first, this is going to sound weird. When I first started seeing him play, the player he sort of reminded me of was Andre Kirilenko. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, no, there's yeah. been those. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So like I, I remember I probably tweeted that out two years ago. Did I see an Andre Kirilenko there? He does a lot of things that contribute to a team uh, and he does them at a high enough level. He is not ever to me going to be a 35 point a game score. He's just not a 30 point a game score, but I think he can get better. And I think the thing is, he has those physical tools. Um, he's just a wonderful athlete. He really is. Um, and, you know, you can see that even in summer league, that this is a particularly athletic guy. I want to see him honestly push it more. I really do. Especially like when I was seeing Bryce struggle with the workload, I wanted to see Luke Travers take more chances. And maybe he did in fairness to him. and It just wasn't successful. But to me, what I see with him is when he goes out of his comfort zone, you see the growing pains. 
in his comfort zone, which is defense, which is ball handling, which is passing. I think you see a, a, a player with a lot of talent and with the size and the frame and the mentality he has, he's got a bright future. The one thing I would also say is I wonder how he is mentally right now, because he's always been ahead of the timeline, right? This is a guy that's really talented and really going places early. And maybe this year is the first time that he has not had just ahead of the curve results. And fans are like, why isn't he performing even better? Why isn't he making the next leap? I do think he will. I just think he's just so talented that it's almost impossible that he doesn't. But I think it takes time. And I think, you know, with a player like this, if there's going to be some growing pains, uh, I hope to see him in summer league again this year out in Vegas. Uh, I remember sitting out there and literally taking the time to sit down and watch him from the front row, play a quarter of basketball against NBA players, uh, or at least NBA summer league players. He fit right in out there. He was fine. He, he, he so he's got the talent. He's got the physical ability and he's a really smart, heady player that plays defense. So he'll be fine. Now, we'd be remiss to not ask you about Kai Soto, who has a very big following in our league from the Filipino community and the sure. Aussie and New Zealand fans of him too. We're fans of him. He's sure. maybe, he's there's a lot about him that makes you think he could get a shot, but do you think he has a legit shot at the NBA? I do. I think it's one of those things where um, fit is so important in the NBA, right? You have to find the right fit. You have to find the right team that you work with and the role that will highlight your skills. To me, he's not a 35-minute-a-game NBA player. Um, there's a kid in Utah now named Walker Kessler, who is a backup center, but a defensive specialist who's particularly long, and he's found in his rookie year a role. Uh, and that role is largely paved by the fact that Rudy Gobert's not there now. So there's an open well, he was in that thing trade, for him to get he? minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now yeah. he's he's got that spot. And he's got those backup minutes, and all he has to do is produce in those minutes. I think I think Kai Sato has to find, you know, if if he wants to get to the NBA, and I suppose everybody does, if he wants to get to the NBA and and stick, it's important to find the right role in a team that recognizes his particular skills and a team that is willing to be patient. Um, patience is so important with the development of players, and. Um, Look, Brady Manick, he he sort of turned good, but there wasn't a lot of patience. Jock Landell is really good this year. He wasn't really good last year in San Antonio. He was he was good enough. He made the team. I know, I know, I know it was close on him making that team. Uh, but um he made it. And now the patience has paid off for the Phoenix Suns because he's a terrific role player there and maybe turning into more. So I just think it's fit. I think it's patience. Uh, and I think the other thing that I stressed, particularly with Brady Manic, is confidence. Once you start seeing positive results, uh, you start to grow as a player, you start to take more chances, and you have more success. And I, you know, circling it back, I hope to see that for Luke Travers too soon. So, Bo, as an OKC fan myself, obviously going into the draft next year, the talk is all about Victor Wembanyama and obviously how ridiculous that guy is. Um, I'll obviously get your thoughts on him as a player and a prospect, but. My, my question is something that we were going to talk about in our last podcast. Now, if you're OKC and you finish outside the top two or three, how much of that draft pick war chest do you use to try and trade up to number one? Well, look, you use all of it. Victor Wimbanyama is uh, the prospect since LeBron James. I am not kidding. I was at Summer League this year. 
I have never seen folks drooling over a prospect like this in my life. And, you know, all, well, I'll take that back all the way back to LeBron, all the way back to LeBron. LeBron was the same way. But this is a uniquely gifted um, he's something we've frankly never seen before. A guy who can move like that, who can handle like that, who can shoot like that, who's in fact evolving the game. He's shooting one-footed threes at, we don't know, maybe seven foot five was the last measurement I saw. This is out of this world. Uh, so, you know, I, I say all of it and I sort of say that facetiously, but I sort of don't. Uh, with the players you have, if you could add Wimbanyama to that and Wimbanyama stays healthy that's the key with him if he stays healthy you are a juggernaut for years and years and years look you've got uh Shea Gilgis Alexander you've got Josh Giddy you, you hope Chet is healthy and as good as you think you've got all sorts of players if you could add Wimbanyama to that I'm talking about a monster, an absolute monster in Oklahoma City. At some point, you know, you acquire all this, you acquire all this, you acquire all this. At some point, you cash in your chips. There's never going to be a better player to cash in your chips on than Victor Wimbanyama. You just wonder how many teams would actually, like, so my Spurs are in the running for that number one pick and, and this amazing prospect. And I'm thinking, it doesn't matter how many picks you throw at me. If I'm the GM of the Spurs, I think you say, look, I think we want to keep Victor. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it would be really interesting to see what the tipping point Well, so think about it. Think about it this way. You, you mentioned the Spurs. How many picks? Uh, imagine giving up, uh, you know, how many picks was Tim Duncan worth? This is a guy who's an all-timer, right? Now, exactly. To, to, I wouldn't have traded any. Of, yeah. There's no, there's no amount of picks. Because exactly. there's no player like him. Yeah. I mean, that's the point is you get that sort of player that can be the dominant focus of an error or one of the two or three great players. I mean, he's you got to figure that he's worth everything, absolutely everything. And I'm not, you know, it's unfair to put all this expectation on Wimbanyama, but I am telling you, I see these people in, in Las Vegas and I talk to them. I have never seen, well, particularly up close. I mean, because I was in a different place in my career with LeBron. Uh, but to be up close with these folks and see the way that they are looking at Victor Wimbanyama, People are losing their minds over this guy, absolutely losing their minds. Now, I mentioned in my rhyme that wasn't nearly as good as, as the great stuff you do, <laughs> that you were a teacher at the top. One of the really interesting things that you've been involved in during the last few years has been the sports business classroom. We know that there's definitely some young and budding journalists that follow us and listen to the show. But I've had a chance to listen to some of the stuff that's out there with you talking to Larry Kern, for example, Wes Wilcox i got to say, it's fascinating, even if you don't want to enter the industry. But I'll tell you what, mate, I'd love to come and do it myself. Could you tell us more about the Sports Business Classroom? Yeah, the Sports Business Classroom is, I'm so fortunate to be a part of this uh, this group of talented people led, as you mentioned, by Larry Kuhn. We are at the Las Vegas Summer League. We have access at the Las Vegas Summer League. That means you're mixing with the players. You're mixing with uh, management. Uh, you know, we've had Mark Cuban come and speak. We had Jerry West spend an hour with us uh, this last summer. Every student got to talk individually with Jerry West, which was incredibly gracious on his part. Um, so you, you get those opportunities to meet these people, but you're also working. I, I tell people, don't think you're going to fantasy camp. It is hard, hard, hard work. Um, I can't think of a situation. I, I try. I run the broadcast program, the media program. 
I can't think of a situation like what we put together. I give students an opportunity to do live play-by-play of NBA games. They get to do live analysis of NBA games. We have a studio set up. You host studio shows, pregame shows, postgame shows, debate shows. You're on the set in front of all the fans in the atrium. Our set is in the arena in front of the fans. So you're doing all that. We had uh, the wonderful Howard Beck come in and teach writing to these students. And he works with these students. So um, it's incredible. It's, it's, it would be incredible without uh, the backdrop of NBA Summer League. It's made even more special because it's right there. Uh, and you're, you get to see all this action. And you get to feel like sort of a crash course of what it feels like to be a part of an NBA organization or to be an NBA broadcaster. It is the most fortunate uh, career twist that I've had. I just feel so lucky to be a part of it. Um, I'll tell you this, for my for my part, I have a text thread for each year, each group of my media students. And every day I get something new updating folks' career, what they're doing. We just had a student from this year get hired by ESPN to do some broadcasting. And so the success... Uh, you know, I've I've had my success. I've made my dream come true. So now maybe the most important thing I can do is help other people make their dream come true. Oh, it's just so fantastic that you're giving back. It's just such a, a great program. Are there any other projects or plugs that you wanted to mention? <laughs> uh, you know, the, I think Sports Business Classroom would be the thing, but obviously you can catch my work uh, with the NBA, the top tens, the highlights every night. And I'm doing the top 10 with the NBL, but I will say this, stay tuned for more. I think Ooh. that we may be doing more stuff with the NBL. I may be joining in a, in a bigger way soon. There's just, there's just some irons in the fire right now. Uh, and I will tell you this, the more I watch the league, the more I become interested in it, the more I feel comfortable talking about what I'm seeing from my, what, 30 years, nearly 30 years. Uh, watching basketball as a media professional. So uh, we hope to make this happen. I, I would say it would be in the new year, but um, I'm really excited about it. I really, I never thought when I began this journey with the NBL that it would become uh, this important, this exciting, and that this connection between the NBL and the NBA would be growing and and working so well, and that I would get to be a part of connecting those fans from across the ocean. Well, there you go. I don't think we've broken news before, but that's a bit exciting. That is, yeah, there you go. Exclusive. That is very exciting. <laughs> Looking forward to that. <laughs> so, Bo, one of the things that we like to do with every guest that we get on the show and, and the last question that we like to ask people, what is your favorite in-person live sporting moment? It doesn't have to be basketball. It can be literally anything. We know that you're across quite a number of sports. So what is your favorite sporting moment you have seen live? It's, it's such a good question. And it, it's so hard, honestly. It's so such a hard question. But I the one thing that jumps to mind, uh, you know, because the, the the way that these moments hit you are different when you're younger. So when I was first breaking in, obviously the Olympics were in Atlanta, and I got to be right there up front at um what what is now Turner Field, but the main Olympic Stadium when Carl Lewis won his final gold medal in the long jump in 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 that same moment seeing Michael Johnson in those golden shoes racing down in the 200 and winning a gold medal. I've never felt an arena have that sort of building roar as he's coming down the stretch uh, in those golden shoes in, in America, winning it for America. 
it was an amazingly special feeling. I I could sort through a thousand of these moments. I saw Michael Jordan play live in the Georgia Dome, and it felt like you were watching the Beatles or something, like (laughs) just the biggest rock star group in the world. Uh, So that was incredibly special to see Michael Jordan that way. Uh, But the more I think about it, you know, moments that people would recognize, not like a high school moment or a college moment, but at the biggest level, I think I go back to that Michael Johnson moment because it was so special and so unique. What's interesting in my career is that some of the moments that that are important to me were weird stuff like I was in college and CNN Sports International when Magic Johnson made his comeback. The the folks there didn't feel comfortable speaking English, so they walked up to CNN when I'm entering there as anybody can anybody in- interview Magic Johnson for us. I raised my hand. I'm in college and I'm walking down with the CNN microphone and I'm interviewing Magic Johnson. So some of my moments are like that, weirdly, uh, like they're the professional moments, not the not the sports moments people would know. But, um, you know, I remember sitting there and looking down. You know, this is my dream, guys. This is everything I've ever built my life for is to be a broadcaster. And I look down and my hand is sort of shaking. And I remember vividly seeing that. And I remember telling myself, it's just because you're tired. It's not because you're nervous. I'm like trying to positively talk myself into, you're not nervous to talk to Magic Johnson. So I remember stuff like that a lot. I really do. Um, I remember uh, at the 96 Olympics, we went to one of that dream team two or whatever you want to call that basketball team that we had there that won the gold medal. We went and David Robinson and Grant Hill were in a post-game interview session and we're just kids. I mean, we're just kids that are just finishing up college and nobody is interviewing. Nobody's asking them questions in the post-game interview. So me and my buddy, Dave Evans, just started asking questions. We didn't have a story to write. We didn't have anything, but we're like, <laughs> heck, if nobody else is going to do it, we're going to do it. So a lot of my memories are of that sort, honestly. Uh, but yeah, that Michael Johnson moment was really spectacular. That's a really, really great answer. And, and I guess for us as Australians, we have, a, a, I guess, a similar memory of Kathy Freeman, a 400-meter runner who sure. got, yeah, she finished with yep. the, the silver in Atlanta and won the gold here. In and, Sydney, yeah. And her running the, yep. the, that straight with the, the full body suit on it. And I guess the roar that they got from the, the Sydney Olympic venue there would have been probably quite comparable. Yeah, no, and I I remember that moment even as an American. That that made waves not just on Australia. It was a moment that the world felt. Obviously, you guys had a bigger and better connection with that. But um, you know, it's it's I was reminded uh when when Australia won the bronze medal recently. It's a it's a big country, but it's not the amount of people that America has. Uh so there's a real pride when Australia has these successes. In fact, I'm reading a book on Patty Mills right now. And, um, you know, you just see these markers that the Australian team is hitting. And in America, obviously, it's just like, you know, ho-hum, who cares? Did we win the gold? We didn't? What? That sort of thing. Like, we don't even pay attention to it and, and treasure it as much as we should. So it's neat to see a country that doesn't almost have these conceited expectations as they follow uh, their sports heroes and, and make their way forward. Well, Bo, you've been so generous with your time. We just we are absolutely pinching ourselves. This has been an absolute highlight for us. We cannot thank you enough. And and what an amazing time we've had. And yeah, just thank you. It's just brilliant. Well, no, I think you guys don't understand. From my perspective, it's so neat to be able to connect with people 
around the world just because I talk about this silly game of basketball and I talk about it in a weird way, per- perhaps. Uh, but you know, it's it's just a wonderful thing for me. I I I I I mean this in all sincerity. I feel so lucky, so ridiculously fortunate to have been able to connect with basketball fans around the world because I talk about the NBA and now the NBL. So I, I appreciate you guys reaching out and, and allowing me to do this. Oh, the pleasure is all. No, th- thank you again so much, mate. Have a, an amazing round of golf today. We're hoping to see some some really good tweets about some birdies or even a hole in one. Yes, indeed. Okay, triple bogeys on the way, guys. Get ready. <laughs> all right, Stuart, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, I'm still pinching myself. What an amazing interview with an amazing human being about the sport that we love. I mean, where do we even start? What an amazingly generous human being with just such great insights. So great to see so much of the history coming up and and learning so much about what he does. Yeah, I just, I... I couldn't be any more grateful and and I think we might have stretched it with the time a little bit there but he was just still so wonderful so affable so knowledgeable and oh my goodness until next time I'm Nathan and I'm Stu we are the Sportplex <laughs>